It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. When the Vikings play the Colts on Saturday, will Kirk Cousins be looking into his quarterback ghost of Christmas's future in Matt Ryan? Uh, Arif Hassan at Pro Football Network. I have successfully eliminated one of the Lukes. Which one? You'll find out in a couple of seconds. It's me. Sorry to disappoint. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. Watching the snow fall outside my window, I can't help but ponder why the Wilfs were such cowards and didn't build an outdoor stadium. That's a shame. That's a shame. It's the Minnesota football party. And Luke, don't use the word ponder on my podcast. <laughs> Too soon? Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome in, everyone, to the Minnesota Football Party on a Snowy Thursday in the Twin Cities. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network at Arif Hassan NFL. And Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk. He's at Luke underscore Spinman on Twitter. No Luke Braun today. So Arif and Ron at some point during the show will probably uh, pester him behind his back, which is, you know, totally uh, above board. Uh, On today's show, we're going to talk about the Kirk Cousins versus Matt Ryan comparison that I teased. We'll have a thorough Colts preview. We'll talk to Ron Johnson. And uh, why can't the Colts run the ball? Well, Jonathan Taylor will address all of that and more on this show, which you can find on Amazon Fire and Roku. If you uh, have those programs, you can watch us on the big screen, 80-inch TV. Everyone's getting the new TVs for the holiday season. Uh, Smart TVs oftentimes, Amazon Fire and Roku. Find us there. Also find us on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe there. You can get us on video, or you can find us on audio wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, we're free, and we are available. Vikings Colts. 48 hours from now, it's coming up fast. I've got so much to talk about with the Colts, but I want to start with just some overview topics on uh, on some Vikings players that I, I would say are having difficult to evaluate seasons in some cases. Um, there's three I want to focus on in particular. Adam Thielen, Eric Hendricks, Daniil Hunter. Those are the three names I sent you. I'm curious what your satisfaction level is with their 2022 performance this season. Um, Because I think that the expectations were fairly high for all three. I'm curious how you guys view where they're at right now. Arif Hassan, 
we'll go with you. We'll start with Adam Thielen. How do you feel like he's done this year? Uh, I mean, honestly, when you look at it from like an all 22 perspective, if you don't look at it from like a production metrics perspective, where you take a look at um, how well he gets open, how much he's catching the ball when he is getting targeted, how accurate those passes are, I think that he's playing pretty well. Um, I think that there is something in the red zone production that they need to kind of dip back into the well for. But I think more, this is just a product of the scheme and Kirk Cousins and kind of this new offense not catching up to all the weapons that they have. I think that we do need to be concerned about an age cliff for Thielen. I don't think that the play that he's had this year is kind of hitting it. I think that the problem is really just production and he doesn't really control a lot of that. I think that mostly you know, he's playing well. Is he the Adam Thielen that he was in like 2018? Absolutely not. But I think that he is um, a fairly high level receiver. I'd put him in the top 20 in the NFL. Um, but it is just, it's just not there for whatever reason. And I think one way to get this offense a little bit better is to make sure that it is there. Arif's right. All in all, I think he's been pretty solid. I remember sitting at training camp next to Luke Braun, watching Adam Thielen come out and jog around and move around a little bit. And, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, is this the beginning? Is he starting to show a little signs of maybe losing a step to Arif's point? You got to worry about him now physically. And not to the point where like he wouldn't or couldn't still be effective. You know, his game isn't built on speed or being a burner. He wins at the top of his routes, still has good hands. And, and that all translates into maybe more longevity as wideouts start to lose some of the physical attributes as they get older. I think that's exactly what we've seen this year. A tick slower, maybe, but still a good route runner. Maybe not the most physical guy in his routes. Still a great technician, though. And the hands are still there. All in all, I think this entire offense, not just Thielen, Really took a month or two to really get going. He's had fairly good production, though, as Arif mentioned along the way. The numbers, they're still going to end up being solid by year's end. What I'm more worried about is what he looks like next year, because now that the drop in speed and physical tools has maybe started, I guess it's only fair to assume that it's going to continue to only get worse over time here from here on out. So for a guy that's due, what, 19 and change, 19 million next season, it's going to be really hard to justify paying him anything remotely close to that, especially when he shows up to camp another year older and likely another tick slower as well. With Thielen, you definitely have to account for Justin Jefferson taking the lion's share of the targets. This is no more 1A and 1B with Diggs. I think it is clearly Jefferson 1, Thielen 2. So you do have to account for that and say, okay, well, when you know, what well, is he still efficient when getting targeted? And... The answer is not necessarily. I mean, his yards per route run is the lowest in his career. His yards after catch per reception, the lowest in his career. That might speak to the injury he's trying to play through. Uh, his contested catches, the lowest in his career. And that was something that Thielen was always really good at. And this year, there have been a lot of moments where you say, all right, that's a tough catch. You didn't drop it. But I expect Adam Thielen to make those plays, and he's 4 of 17 this year on contested catches. Obviously, it's a volatile stat. It comes and goes, small sample size, but just little things here and there. And I do wonder if the injury is part of that. However, the injury equation is adding up, not in Thielen's favor now, because now it's three consecutive years impacted by injuries. He's been able to play through this one pretty well. He's only missed a handful of reps amazingly, considering he's had a chronic knee issue the whole year and has been able to, to battle through it. So he deserves props for that. But three years in a row, the lower body's breaking down. So Luke, Luke hits it on the head. The, the 19 million is untenable, but that dead cap is still super high too. Like it's going to require 
a serious sacrifice on Thielen's part and for him to look in the mirror and say, I know that I'm not playing up to this salary. I am willing to take less money. Because Arif, maybe maybe you're a little more well-versed in this. If he says absolutely not, then the Vikings have to eat 13. Is that the deal next year? Or um, they have to pay him I, the 19? They, they, they will have to pay him the 13 kind of regardless, just whatever happens. But they'll have options to kind of reduce the, the cap hit with – um, you know, forced restructures and stuff like that. Stuff that's like in the CPA and in contracts where you can convert, you know, remaining prorated signing bonus into, uh, again, mm-hmm. a signing bonus or remaining base salary guarantees into signing bonuses. Um, but of obviously, you know, one of, the, one of the impacts of that is that you commit to that player for longer than you otherwise would have. So they'll have options to reduce the cap hit, but the amount of cash they have committed to Thielen, that's just going to stay at it, the way it is, right? And so... Whether or not the 19 million, I believe, cap hit next year is going to be what his cap hit is actually going to be next year, I kind of doubt it. Um, but they'll have options to either forcibly restructure the contact, uh, contract within the structures um, that have already been agreed to through negotiations, or uh, you know, kind of strong arm him into saying, "Hey, this is what you actually want." And as we I, sit I, here, I know we're going to talk a lot about this contract and a lot of these contracts throughout the off season because that cap right now, the way it is. Is pretty ugly. Quasi's going to have a, a lot of work to do this offseason. But another thing to keep in mind is how long does he want to continue to play, too? I mean, he'll be 33 next year. Sam, you mentioned three straight years of lower body injuries. You know that takes his toll. And just the whole background, the whole story, he's already had such a successful career. You know he probably wants to retire in Minnesota. He's not going to do, I wouldn't guess, you never know. But I doubt he does that journeyman thing these last two, three, four years and hops around team to team. He wants to end in purple. But how many more years does he even want to play? That's something to keep in mind, too. And obviously, we don't know the answer to that. But I can't imagine it's too much longer to where he, unlike a lot of players, are going to play themselves to where they just physically just can't go out there and play anymore. I think he wants to leave somewhat on a high note and leave on top. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. $19 million, either way, as Arif mentioned, that's just a hard pill to swallow. I don't see that happening. I would predict, if I'm a betting man, I would say that they renegotiate and get the cap number and salary down to 12 or 13 for one year, and they expedite his free agency. I don't, I, I don't think, I think that they will come to a, a decision that, all right, we're going to be year to year. So you can play for a healthy salary next year, but then we're going to do this year to year. So the next year, if you want to stick around, it might be eight. The next year after that, it might be five. And that's kind of the way Fitzgerald like ended things in uh, in Arizona because he wanted to, to retire there. And I think Thielen, you're right, Luke, might want to be the same way. Now, two guys that have expiring deals next year, Kendricks and Hunter. Uh, we've gone back and forth on Hunter this year. Let's talk about Kendricks, though, first, because Kendricks, I think, has been a victim somewhat of this scheme. His pass coverage is bottoming out, the worst it's been, I think, in his career. And, and that, that's a big question, whether it's, it's execution or scheme. And that's been a theme of the week because it seems like KOC is saying it's scheme and Donatel's saying, no, it's execution. Where does Eric Kendricks fall in all this? Inman will give you the opening salvo. Yeah, I just think for everything that we've seen, this brand new scheme, the adjustments that were made, remember a lot of these core guys too, they're coming from that same Zimmer defense for multiple years in a row. Like some of them, that's all they've ever known. Like Hendricks and Hunter, they've only played in that Zimmer defense. So I'm kind of on the side of giving some of these defensive players a pass and not judging them too critically because of the fact Ed Donatel 
just really hasn't put some of his best players in the best positions to be successful and maximize their own unique skill sets. Like Kendricks is going to finish the year as one of the top three tacklers on the team. But yeah, I mean, he's a linebacker. That's what you're supposed to do. I think the pass coverage specifically, where we all know he's always been one of the better coverage linebackers in the entire league in the past. Now, all of a sudden, just after a year or two, has dropped off to the point where he and Hicks are both in the bottom 10 of pass coverage linebackers, according to PFF. So I think that's what's frustrating me the most and a lot of fans, because we know, you know, you just didn't forget how to cover all these guys out of the flats and up the scene, things like that. Again, the production at the end of the year, he usually gets, what, three, four, five sacks a season. That may decline. We haven't seen any interceptions. The tackles will still be there. I think for a lot of these defensive players, though, I'm leaning more towards it's on the Ed Donatel scheme the play calls, and the fact that there just hasn't been a lot of in-game and even in-season adjustments up to this point. Yeah, I think that yeah, I think that there are a couple of elements at play here. I think one is adjustment to the scheme, like Luke said. I think that, that plays a pretty critical role. If you're a linebacker and your primary job is to kind of align everybody else on um, the defense, and, and you're responsible for getting all the calls in, you know, you know, manipulating the coverages when they you know motion into or out of a particular set, and you've been calling one defense the entire time. Uh, and you then have to call a different defense when those adjustments happen. Your keys are a little bit different. The way that you drop in your depth and your landmarks are a little bit different. That's all going to impact you. I don't think that that's the majority of it because, you know, if, you know, good players will eventually, you know, adjust by the time they're in week 14 or week 15 of the season. Um, but I, I think that that plays a pretty significant role. I think also on top of that, um, the nature of the scheme itself, which is not to say it's a good or a bad scheme, but the nature of the scheme itself forces a lot more underneath passes. It forces passes into those linebacker zones. There's going to be a lot more crossers just because the way that teams try to beat, you know, cover two, cover four, cover six type looks is to attack those uh, underneath zones, which happen to be a little bit wider than if you were running a cover three or a cover one, right? Because, you know, cover one's man coverage anyway. Um, so a lot of that is to try and get receivers lined up against those linebackers, put them in awkward situations where they're running in, in, in difficult spaces, uh, and, um, you know, cross them up a lot of the time. And so I think that that's part of it, too. Um, the assignments are getting pretty difficult for Kendricks as a result. And also, I think just on top of it, um, I, I, I think that it's designed to stress the linebackers. Like, I think it's designed to make the linebackers just do so much more, right? Like, think about, you know, the, they always want to play with a light box against the run. Who does that stress the most? A linebacker. A linebacker just has mm -hmm. to beat a block now that they didn't have to beat before. Same thing when they, when they, when they, cloud up all of those uh you know cornerbacks and safeties and stuff like that the linebacker now has more depth that they have to cover back and width they have to cover wide uh and so it is just really tough really tough for a linebacker to look good in the scheme i don't think that that's all of it you know we've seen really good linebacker play in this scheme before in other teams um but i think all of these are playing a role and they kind of combine together to make kendrick's look like a worse linebacker than he is i think next year he'll be playing better Good yeah, point. and I think he'll probably be going into a contract year next year, too. I don't think there's going to be an extension, and I also don't yeah. think they're going to cut him. Like, I, I think that that is going to be sort of a play-your-way-into-the-next-deal kind of kind of year for Kendricks. My only concern would be that he started to show some rust last year. He had an unbelievable two-year peak. Age 27, age 28, right when he should be peaking, and he was unreal. Then last year, the tackling, the run defense dropped. And now this year, ostensibly, the pass defense dropping. And we don't know for sure whether all that's all on him. But I would 
worry about that age cliff you talked about with Thielen now going into age 31 next year, how Kendricks will look um, if indeed that rust is legit. So I think uh, that leaves Hunter. I want to I get just the real updated quick, Hunter Just real quick, take. Sam, I know yeah, we yeah, keep yeah. talking about a lot of the contract. You mentioned Kendricks, the contract. You know, a lot of these big names have a ton of dead money, I believe. I think Kendricks is one of the only ones who hardly has any dead money, making him, I guess, the most susceptible to just being cut outright. Problem is, when I look at all those big names and I stack them up side by side, I don't think, for me anyways, Kendricks is near the top of the guys that I would just want to just go and cut as a cap casualty. So it's going to be interesting just given the way all those big names and their contracts are set up and given how much dead cap there is. Kendricks, I believe, has one of the lowest dead cap numbers compared to the rest of the group. So that's going to be interesting as well. Yeah, I think Jordan Hicks susceptible, though. He's also got a low okay. dead cap. The Vikings could save $5 million by cutting Hicks. And it seems like Asamoah has already started the takeover, right? After seeing him get more and more reps, I could see Jordan Hicks being a camp cut heading into next year. That's probably a topic for another time. Uh, the, the messaging is changing on Daniil Hunter. And this is always frustrating when coaches before the year, they say, oh, Daniil looks great. He's taking to the scheme. And then you hear it at December 13th, Ed Donatel saying, yeah, it's going to take the whole year. It's going to take the whole year for Daniil to figure out this scheme. Um, that's frustrating to hear. Arif, your take on Daniil Hunter's play at the moment. I think he's playing well. I don't know why Donatel would say that. That is ridiculous to me. Especially because, like, you know, five weeks ago, he's like, yeah, you, these things usually, you know, take four or five weeks. And you're like, it's been six. It's been seven. <laughs> and now it's going to take the whole year. He's playing well. I like. I don't like. If, if you take a look at, uh, and not that this is the end all be all, but this is a pretty reasonable proxy for you know gut checking ourselves. If you take a look at the Pro Football Focus grades for all the defenders from the Minnesota Vikings, who has the highest grade? Mm -hmm. It's Daniil Hunter. Daniil. Yeah. He's playing. Yeah. Re yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it was Darius Smith, which fair enough, right? But the last couple of games have been really good for Hunter. And if you just take a look, just a quick look at the film from this last game, I mean, he is just beating people instantly, instantly, right? The issue here was the coverage, right? Jared Goff's getting rid of the ball right away. But, you know, he did a phenomenal job in this game, you know, with, with a high win rate. Now, his pass rush win rate for the season, not great because of those first five or six weeks. That's fine. But he is a high-level run defender for the Vikings right now. He ranks second. Uh, among Vikings in run stops. First is a linebacker, Jordan Hicks, not Eric Kendricks. Um, you know, that I think that's really significant as an edge defender, especially when Zedarius Smith is a little bit weaker as, as a run defender. Now, Zedarius Smith has more pressures. He's got 70. Daniel Hunter has 49. But, uh, you know, Hunter recently has been winning at a somewhat more consistent rate against much more difficult competition, as in the, the types of players that are going up against. You know, when Zedarius Smith is uh, is rushing like an injured Jonah Jackson, I guess he's not injured, but a coming back from injury Jonah Jackson versus, you know, Hunter taking on a left tackle, I, I, that that is a much more difficult task, and he's winning. Um, and so I think that Hunter is playing really good football right now. I if I were Donatel, I would have just said, you know, it doesn't always show up in the numbers. Jared Goff had to get rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds. I guess that's a number. Mm -hmm. But Jared Goff had to get rid of the ball right away. You know, that's a product of how good the pass rush is. Now it's just up to the secondary to support them. Hunter's playing well. He wasn't playing this well at the beginning of the season. I'll acknowledge that. I was concerned about it, and I wanted to talk about it. We had a good discussion about that on this podcast. But he's 
playing well right now. I, I just find it really weird that Donatel's making excuses for him. Don't make excuses for him. Say the numbers are wrong. Donatel thinks that he's actually helping the contract negotiation when actually he's hurting it because he's telling the agent, hey, this is how he's playing when he doesn't get the scheme. Imagine when he gets right. the scheme. Uh, right. Luke Inman, right. quick, quick thoughts, and then we have Ron Johnson waiting in the wings. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, seven sacks now. A chance he finishes with double-digit sacks now by year's end. Arif mentioned it. PFF has him as one of the highest defenders on the team. Every week I look at that ESPN win rates. He's always been flirting with top 10 of edge defenders in run-stop win rate. So I think he's been really, really solid. So we hear Donatel say, again, he takes time to make the switch. He'll get there. Don't worry about it. I think he's already there. He's just not cashing in on maybe the splash plays. It's not translating the good play into stats and numbers like we're used to seeing. It's just been a very quiet seven sacks and 11 tackles for loss. For me, the fact that you watch some of these critical third downs this year and Daniil or Z is dropping back in coverage. I think they've dropped back like 56 times this season. And that's fine if your defense is like producing on a high level, but when it's dead last in the league, like, stop trying to get cute, man. Like, what are we doing? This man should be rushing the passer every third down. They need to try to get back to just lining up my best guy versus your best guy and letting him do what he does best. And maybe that means letting him put his hand in the dirt a little bit more. But again, I think all in all, making the switch, I think he's done a really good job, especially the last three, four weeks. I certainly think he would have more of an impact this season if that secondary wasn't giving up so much cushion to the quarterback, like Arif mentioned. Yeah. He's getting the ball out of his hand so quickly. I don't care if you're Reggie White or Lawrence Taylor, like you're not getting to the quarterback like last Sunday when Goff was getting that ball out with two seconds on that five-step drop. It's just it's just not humanly possible. There needs to be tighter coverage off the snap. Then we might start to see some of these front seven guys, all of them, start putting up some more stats and production like we're used to seeing. But it's hard to fathom like every single player just dropped off and played defensively. And that's why I think the majority of this lies on the coordinator, yeah. the scheme, the play calling, the problems they've had in the back end with all those DB injuries throughout the year. I think all that stuff plays a factor. Yeah, no doubt. They said this week they want to take air out of the coverage. So maybe a little bit more press. We'll see. Uh, we've got Ron Johnson coming up, and then we've got uh, a thorough Indianapolis Colts preview that we will deliver. But first, this episode is brought to you by... BetOnline.net, it's your number one source for betting trends, info, stats, analysis, and they've even got some great betting podcasts there as well. Get the latest odds and trends for the NFL, NBA, NCAA football, and basketball at BetOnline.net. Vikings have been four-point favorites there throughout the week, over under 48.5. You can find those lines and those over-unders at BetOnline.net for every game. In week 15, it's betonline.net. Get it on your mobile device. It's where the game starts. Let's see who was lucky enough to get invited to today's party. It's time to meet our guest of honor. Ron Johnson joins us now, host of the Ron Johnson Show, at 3RonJohnson on Twitter. He's hosting on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and the roundtables on Friday. Ron, the question all week has been, is it scheme? Or is it execution for the Vikings defense? They've been we've been going back and forth about it. Donatel's talked about it. KOC's talked about it. What do you think the issue is for this beleaguered Minnesota Vikings defense? Uh, so I was a big proponent of the scheme, possibly. But now, after hearing a coach say it, and I don't think a coach would just flat out lie about it, 
Um, I'm going to say I think that it is maybe a little bit of execution. And when when he says execution, this is the thing for people to understand as a coach. I just I'm over here at TCO Performance Studios. I just got done shooting uh, the Vikings podcast coming on. Uh, it's going to be on K Fan I think Friday uh, night at some point. But we talked about this. We talked about the Ed Donatel uh, response. And so when you think about his response, uh, he's not going to throw players under the bus. He's not going to flat out say. Uh, guys aren't paying attention to this specific guy, but there has to be moments in games. And, and that's the thing we always, I always say, just because something happened, we don't know what the call actually was. We don't know if it was a man call that maybe three of the DBs went man, one guy went zone, screw up. Uh, if there's some pressure blitz and the blitz is uh, determined by, you know, say it's the linebacker and he's supposed to go if they're running back who's covering him, or sorry, the running back he's covering stays in the block. Well, maybe that linebacker doesn't fire and doesn't go in, and he's just kind of in space, and we're all sitting there like, why is this guy covering green grass? Um, a, a lot of little things like that where if guys aren't getting the call or aren't doing exactly what they're supposed to do, if, if a DN rushes inside and he should have stayed outside, which would have maybe freed up another guy coming, or if they were supposed to twist and one guy twists and the other guy stays, and two guys are in the same lane, Little stuff like that can uh, be a huge deterrent in what the coach is trying to get accomplished. And if you think back to last year with uh, the Lions game that they lost and Cam Dancer should have just left his feet on the goal line and they were playing cover four, some type of red cover four, Dancer backs up into the end zone, maybe three, four yards, catches it right in front of him, touchdown, game over. Mike Zimmer says like, oh, if so-and-so had to just – done the call maybe we don't lose that game and that's probably true if he stays on the goal line he doesn't make Jared Groff doesn't make that throw the fact that he backs and then we don't get the video of his girlfriend celebrating because her boyfriend Jared Goff got the first win and she's randomly doing a yellow bikini shoot the same week the Vikings are playing the Lions go figure uh and she has to do the video in her bikini she couldn't wait till she got to the hotel to find out they had just won his first game whatever but it was, it was content, live. What, what is she supposed to do? She doesn't pick SI Authentic picks. reaction, Ron. What are you supposed Ron? to do? <laughs> hey, sure, sure, sure. They had that video ready to go for whoever he won his first game against. They're like, no matter who, every week, Locked every and week, I need you. Every week, I need you in a yellow bikini just in case Jared Goff finally wins and we're going to put this video out live. And then every week, she's in that bikini on the beach. Like, did he win? Nope, they still lost. Oh, did they win yet? Nope. Okay, they finally won. Oh, my God. I'm so happy he won. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Get out of here. I can't believe it. Like, you guys don't know. It's been so long since Jared Goff won a game. Like, I don't think oh you understand God. how I important mean, this is for us right now. Is, is, my, is my makeup okay? Is my makeup okay? Like, come on now. But anyway, um, when, you, when you think about those mistakes being made, uh, the, the same can be said right now. Like, the same can be said for what's going on. So, I, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I'd say maybe they can dial up the blitz a little bit more. Uh, but at the end of the day, if the scheme, you know, if the guys aren't executing the scheme, how can we just flat out say it's the scheme? Like, I, I think that's – it's year one. So there's a lot of growing within this defense. There's a lot of movement that we were waiting to see that we haven't seen. But maybe they're, the calls are being made and they're not doing it. Um, I have to take – I mean, I don't, I don't see a coach getting up there flat out lying. Not to say coaches don't lie. Um, but I gotta, I gotta weigh both. I'd say it's a little bit of both. Scheme should. Hmm. Luke, what do you got? 
Hey, Ron, uh, big draft guy, as you know, you've started to see a lot of these top prospects take their bowl game off now the last four or five years, really since I think it kind of started with Jalen Smith, Notre Dame linebacker. He was projecting like the top 10. He got hurt in his bowl game. He falls to the second round. So now you see a lot of these top guys are skipping out. Just as a former player, like, does that bother you at all to see? Or do you think if you're in that locker room, like being another guy who's battling through his own injuries, still willing to go out there and do everything they can to just go out there for their team and finish the season on a high note? Or for some of them, I guess, the last game of their careers, you know, finish with a win. What's your take on all these top prospects skipping out to get ready for the draft just as a former player yourself? Well, I'm a true believer of whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Like, there's a plan for you. Um, God doesn't wish bad things to happen, but when bad things happen, God uses it as a moment to teach us. And this is what I say to guys that get hurt. It's a moment for you to realize, like, what's really important in your life to grow, whatever, blah, blah. Can you protect yourself from all injuries? No. Uh, I'm a big fan of Final Destination, the movie, for those that haven't seen it. If you, if you cheat death Great once movie. because somebody had a dream that we were going to die and he yanked all of us off the plane, we're going to die. Like, it's going to come get us. We're going to die in a, in a lot worse. This is what I've learned. If you don't die the way you're supposed to die, it's going to get a lot worse. Like, so you say Jalen Smith up was going to get that knee injury, but just later? <laughs> yeah, exactly. this is going to happen either way. And, and, and he got it at a time now. Tanya he's Harding. Rehab, he's fine, you know. But, right, Tanya Harding. <laughs> Someone's going to just take a Nick. sledge. Oh, my God. He's got Nancy a bat. Kerrigan. Look out. All right. Well, <laughs> if Nancy, if Nancy, Come here. Exactly. If Nancy Kerrigan had gotten out of it, maybe. But, you know, like, if you think about that movie, they should have all died on that plane. Then eventually one guy dies because he's lifting weights and the weight messes up and then smashes his head in. Like, put me on the plane. Like, just go ahead and blow the plane. Up. But anyway, um, I, I look at injuries like that. Like, some people assume, like, oh, if I miss this and I miss that, then I'll, I'll stay injury-free. Look at guys like Kirk Cousins. He doesn't miss anything, and he still walks away just fine. Uh, but then you look at guys that get hurt in practice. Like, oh, let me miss this, let me miss this, and then they still get hurt in practice. Uh, look at the non-contact injuries out there, uh, like Kyler Murray. Nobody touches you. So you can't say, oh, if I didn't take this hit, you know, like I get some of the head injury stuff, the concussion stuff. Yeah, you can definitely taper that back. But some of these other injuries, like sometimes your body is just taking a take and eventually it's going to give. Um, and, and that's what happened. It gives out and you're going to get hurt. But for a quarterback, I get it. Like shoulder, uh, getting hit in the pocket, team not really bought in. Everybody's down here just to celebrate and have fun at the Citrus Bowl. We can't win a national championship. Honestly, it's the Citrus Bowl, though. That's a, that's a big one. Uh, I, I get I get some of these other ones like the January 25th, 26th bowls, the 23rd. I think there's a bowl game on. Uh, I get some of those because it's like, look, like like the peanut butter and jelly bowl uh, in, in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like, I'm good. I'm not I don't really care about the peanut butter and jelly bowl. Uh, but, but the citrus bowl, I might want to play in that one. Um I'd be interested to see, too. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, if you have a chance to go to the NFL, you don't want to get hurt. But I, I just don't like that trend. I think, you know, your teammates, you guys work so hard for that to get to this point. Uh, Drew Brees is going to just was just named, I think, assistant coach, interim assistant coach for this game. Like, why not go get coached by Drew Brees for a game?
Yeah, I, I get both sides of it. I, I totally get it. Get, start to get prepped for the draft a little bit. Make sure you don't get hurt. Obviously, seeing a guy like Jalen Smith is is going to be in the back of your mind if you're a top prospect looking at the mock yeah. drafts and stuff. But I think it kind of waters down some of these bowl games, too. Like, as a fan, I just want to go see the top prospects out there go play these. So it's a little disappointing. But I totally get both sides of it. I was just curious, as a former player, maybe what's going on in that locker room. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, for me, uh, I, I do want to get back to this question about scheme versus execution. Um, I I, I want to kind of dig further into this question because Luke brought something up right before you came on about how many players have to play worse than they did last year before you decide maybe it is the coaching, which is not to say that the players right. are executing the scheme, right? It can be very well be the case that three or four players are not executing the scheme well. But then that sounds like, you know, these are professional players, many of them gone to the Pro Bowl. Then that sounds like a coaching problem, not a scheme problem. But if enough players are not executing, that sounds like a coaching problem to me. Um, and so how, how, how long before you kind of, because, you know, Cameron Dancer making a coverage mistake, that's in his history, right? That's So mm -hmm. one guy makes, you know, consistent scheme mistakes. Okay, that's that's execution. Two guys make consistent scheme mistakes. That's execution. Maybe we should get that in better personnel. Five guys, including three pro bowlers? I, mm -hmm. that, that sounds like a coaching problem to me, which is not me saying Ed Donatel is going up there and lying. It's me saying that maybe Donatel needs to reflect on how he gets across what he wants to have happen on the field. Yeah, here you yell five guys made me think of French fries and a hamburger, but um, <laughs> whole bag, man. They got all of them. Um, <laughs> but so like behind me right now, you know, there's a picture of Daniil Hunter behind me. I'm over here at TCO, like I said, performance studios, just, you know, shooting some content stuff. Uh, and when you think about this guy behind me, Daniil Hunter, um, in the 3-4 defense, he's not an outside linebacker. Let's be for real right now. He's not an outside linebacker. Uh, he is a defensive end. Now, is he athletic enough to drop into the flat and some of that? Yes. Uh, is he as good at it as a Darius Smith? No. Can he rush the passer? Yes. Uh, when is he most effective? With his hand in the ground. So if I'm a coach, so to answer your question, a little bit of it does get back to coaching. And we had Glenn Mason on, on the Ron Johnson show. Go back and watch that episode with Glenn Mason. Uh, and if you think about Glenn Mason on there, um, by the way, after doing the Vikings pod too, in the middle, you'll hear it on KFAN people, uh, the Vikings uh, podcast does promote the Ron Johnson show on all platforms. So it uh, was, was, was kind of cool to, to finally start being able nice. to integrate that into the KFAN nice. uh, radio stuff. Uh, right. Unfortunately, though, I know when people search the Ron Johnson show, you're going to get a white Republican. Uh, so that is not me. But anyway, so talking about Daniil Hunter uh, with the 3-4 defense, this is the thing. The Gophers had the same problem. Carter Coughlin was an outside linebacker slash mm -hmm. defense in. But when they had the 3-4, it wasn't working. They fire their defensive coordinator. Joe Rossi takes over as defensive coordinator. What does Joe Rossi do? He says, okay, Carter Coughlin's not that good at dropping into coverage. Carter Coughlin is not that good at doing this. But Carter Coughlin is excellent at rushing the quarterback. How do I get that scheme set up? Oh, let me see. Let me put Carter Coughlin's hand in the ground. He's going to be the third or fourth defensive lineman on the line, but he's going to be in a wide technique to be more like an in linebacker. I'm going to have another backer safety drop in the box and become my outside backer replace. 
And I'm going to let Carter Coughlin go after the quarterback as much as he needs to. Now, will I still drop him? Yes, because defense ends every once in a while. J.J. Uh, J. Watt had to drop back because he's had interceptions. Defense ends do have to drop back. But you can you can create like a cycle of like, Daniil, you're going to go after the quarterback every single play up until this point and then just drop back. But then go back after the quarterback. It becomes a hybrid 3-4. You still can have 3-4 principles. You still can have 3-4 scheme in the middle. You still can have your D tackles do what they do. But now Daniil Hunter becomes your forcible guy that always goes after the quarterback. It does hamstring Zadarius Smith a little bit because Zadarius has to become more of the true drop backer every time. But now you're getting the best out of Daniil Hunter, and you still have an outside linebacker who can do what he does, which is go after the quarterback but also drop back. Um, and then when you want to send both of those guys back, you just go to a different uh, uh, personnel. You put both of those guys in the game with one defense alignment. Now you have one defense alignment, two standing up linebackers, Daniil Hunter, Darius Smith. You bring in DJ Wanham, who now becomes your true outside linebacker who can drop. You now bring in, uh, you know, Cam Bynum into the box as your additional backer, or Brian Asamoah as your additional backer. And you still have your scheme. You still have three down linemen, but now two of them are outside linebackers. And one of them really is Daniil Hunter that wants to get up to the quarterback. So there's ways to do it. Um, honestly, I can say it all day long. It's not easy to teach. That's the problem. Like, we could say this all day. It's not easy to teach middle of the season to say, hey, we're going to do this, guys. Now, the Gophers did pull it off, but they didn't change much besides Carter Coughlin put his hand in the ground and went after the quarterback pretty much 90% of the time. And now he's with the Giants, and we'll see him Christmas uh, Eve or whatever. So I, I think that's the key. Like, you can you can get to it in a scheme, but it's not always easy to get to it. But Glenn Mason, sorry, to the story, Glenn Mason said this on our show. He said, Woody Hayes, he went to Woody Hayes once and said, hey, coach, I told this kid, I don't know, a thousand times, do this, do this, do this. We get to the game, he does something else. And Woody Hayes was like, you told him a thousand times? He's like, yeah. He's like, I can't believe it, coach. I told him a thousand times and he still didn't get it right. Woody Hayes looked Mason in the face and said, that's your fault. You're a horrible teacher. Like, if you tell a guy to do something that many times and he can't get it right, you suck as a teacher. And that's why P.J. Fleck always says that. Like, he teaches every player differently like he's in a sixth-grade social studies class. Sometimes you have to get with a player who's not doing the scheme you want them to do and just talk to them and say, hey, how do you learn best? Like, are you a – do you need to have it written on a screen? You can get up on a whiteboard and explain it to the whole team. And in your mind, you're like, this makes total sense. Everybody should get it. But then there's that one DB in the back of the room like, man, what in the hell did he just say? Like, I heard Baby Shark do-do-do-do-do-do halfway through this. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And then that coach can go to him and say, hey, you know when the receiver goes in motion and he goes from strong to weak and our linebacker yells out weak, weak, weak? And he's like, yeah, we're just changing the covers to cover two. Oh, that's what we're doing? Why did you just say that? Like, that's sometimes that's what coaches and players need to do because everybody assumes they're on the same page and they're that's maybe a little bit of what's going on is if you don't ask, you won't get helped. And my, my grandmother always said this, closed mouths don't get fed. If you don't tell me you're hungry, I'm not feeding you. I don't know. I'm grandma. I don't know you're hungry. So you got to tell me you're hungry and I will go make you something. So I think some of these players or coaches, they need to just open up their mouth and say, hey, coach, I don't get it. You're not going to get cut because you didn't get it. You're going to get cut because you didn't do it right. But you're never going to get cut because you don't get it. Always ask. And that's what I was taught as a coach with Tony Dungy when I was with the coach. Hey, if the players don't know it, make sure to give them one-on-one -on -one time. And I would meet with Pierre. I mean, we had Pierre Garçon on the show, and we talked about that. Me and Pierre would get up together at 6 a.m., and we would meet, and we'd go over stuff. Why? Because he wanted to make sure he knew what he was doing, and that was the key. Reggie Wayne, I never had to meet with him because Reggie knew it all. Reggie knew what he was doing.
Yep. So, so what was it like yeah. being around a team that qualified for a Super Bowl? Like, what what did you observe that year from that from that group? Yeah, so I left midway through the season. That was the year Howard Mudd and uh, Tom Moore fake retired. So they had to retire because their 401k mm. would have been in jeopardy because they were 104 years old. And so at 104 years old, you can no longer have your 401k just sit there with all that equity. And uh, what people don't know is the NFL would match us in our 401k 2 to 1 and 3 to 1, meaning you give us $12,000, $12,500, which is the max, they will give you $30,000. They will match it up to $10,000, three to one or two to one. And that was the hardest concept for us to understand is as 21, 22, 23 year olds. I'm like, wait, if I give you $12,000, you're going to give me 20. How does this work? Like, this doesn't make sense. It seems fake. But I'm like, all right, I trust you. I will give you 12,5. You give me 20. Oh, I give you 12,5. You give me 30. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, because of that match and the way the NFL 401k was set up, those two coaches had to fake retire, become executive assistants, and then that way they could still draw from their 401k and not get penalties. Um, so I was bought in, and then eventually Jim Irsay was like, we have sense. too many coaches. And uh, Jim Irsay, yeah, because you, you can't be a, a coach and working and still draw from your 401k, but at a certain age, you have to start drawing because that's the reason why you yeah. have a retirement fund with the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> and so those that's dudes were like, tax advantaged, yeah. Exactly. They're mm -hmm. like, man, we're making $2 million. I don't need to touch my 401k. And then if it was like, oh, you're going to touch it. You're going to touch this. Like, <laughs> we're going to make you, we're going to make you touch this. <laughs> and, and so they, they figured out a loophole. The loophole was if we retire, now you think we're retired and then we can take out a little bit and you'll leave us alone. And that's what they did. They fake retired. Um, they came back as executive assistants, uh, but they still did their regular jobs. I'm not going to lie. Um, and so Jim Irsay, kept up the facade all the way up until, I don't know, week three or four. And then he, like, let me and Frank Winters go. Frank Winters, former Packer, he was the offensive line guy that took over for Mud. I took over for uh, Clyde Christensen, who was taking over for uh, Tom Moore, who's offensive coordinator. So that's what it was. But no, I was only there up and through, like, September, October. So, But what I did notice, honestly, man, like, in the offseason, for sure, uh, watching Peyton Manning build uh, the championship culture and build what he was trying to get and, and watching him – draw back on old Tony Dungy-isms and the way the culture was built. What I noticed, honestly, man, was a lot of, uh, I hate to use the word, but a lot of collaboration, which you're seeing from Kevin O'Connell. And uh, it is important because the collaboration Peyton had was like clockwork. Like I would try to be the first coach there because I was the youngest. And so every time I would try, I would get beat because Peyton Manning would already be there. He'd be there at 540. If, I'm, if I knew I was going to be there at 550, he would be there at 545 somehow, some way. I'd be like, you know what, screw this. I'm going to get there at 540. All of a sudden, he's there at 535. Like, I don't know what or how he did it, but he was magic. Um, and every time he was there, he would have, like, two or three receivers there with him. And Pierre confirmed this with, with Sam and I on the Ron Johnson show that, yeah, Peyton would reach out. We would say, hey, hey what was Peyton this morning? We'd already kind of know. Uh, he would take, like, Dallas Clark or, uh, you know, Ben Utech, Pierre Garçon, Reggie Wayne. Those would be his three that day. Or, you know, Joseph Adai. And he'd have three guys. And what he was doing with those three guys was building. He was running plays. He was running bunch sets. He wanted to see how those guys inter interacted together in routes. He wanted to see the timing of if this guy's hitting this post at this. Where's this guy on the out? And he was learning. He was learning. Like, if Pierre hit, Pierre's fast enough that when he hits the post, I know Reggie's now only 10 yards down the field. And so he was building that collaboration um, but then also the hallways, the, 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 the walkthroughs, like the walkthroughs were fun. Like I remember Jeff Saturday making jokes about Peyton Manning taking forever 
in a 12-play walkthrough that we'd only be through two plays. And Jeff Saturday, when I was looking at his watch, like, man, we've done two plays and we've gone through 10 minutes and it's two plays. And he would sit down on the ground like, here we go again. Peyton's about to change the play again. Let's sit down. You know, and it was all jokes, though. We would laugh and the coaches would laugh, but offensive linemen would follow Jeff and he'd sit down on the ground. And, you know, and I think what that did, though, is that built them to be able to argue with, the, with, with each other later. And if you saw the clip of Jeff Saturday and Peyton that finally got released, so they were arguing on the sideline where Peyton comes off, like, pissed off saying something. And Jeff Saturday's like, hey, hey, we'll do our job. You shut up. You shut up. And Peyton's like, well, you get the – all right, all right, all right, I get it. Okay. You know, and Peyton backed off. And I think that's, the, that's what they had learned by collaborating. When it became an argument, it truly became a friendly – brotherly argument it was never like with the washington commanders you saw actual fists being thrown it was more of like i know you're just trying to get better and i know you want greatness from us and i want greatness from you but they had built that that's what that was i, I noticed in the building it was like practicing together competing together the defense was trying to get the offense better the offense was trying to get the defense better um but peyton earned that respect with jeff and jeff earned that respect the same way with peyton they both were like ridiculously mental like like the amount of things they could come up with and the ways they could, like, I mean, Peyton would make the nickel cornerback. If you think about Shannon Sullivan being the nickel cornerback, he would say Mike 39 just because he wanted to throw the hot route. If he went Mike 39, that means the corner to the left of him has to blitz in order for Peyton to have a hot route. So what he's telling mm -hmm. offensive line is, hey, you guys got to block everybody else over here center mm. you're worried about 39 39 is probably not coming so don't worry about them just block these guys and so he was trying to take some mm. of that off of them so they weren't worried about the mic and they weren't worried about the blitzer um and he would understand so you know, like the blitzes to where it became so easy and little stuff like that man is what made them so good and so you know like i think they won like 10 games in a row for like four straight years or something like that. They, like, I think Tony Dungy went like 10 and 0, yeah. like four straight years. I can't remember what the thing was. It was some ridiculous, but that's what happens when you have that collaboration, that culture built to be a champion. Uh, that's what they built. You know, it was never bad blood in the office. It was a friendly, like Peyton and Tony and, you know, all the way down to, you know, Pete Metzlars was there, former tight end from the Buffalo Bills. They would all have their families and kids running through the hallways before practice or after practice. Uh, you know, the moms would drop the kids off after school to the dads. And I mean, it was a true, like Tony really believed in friendly family atmospheres. And so it, it passed on to the players where players were walking through the halls with their kids. And, you know, it was never one of those like, oh, kids are here. Shut up now. You know, like, no, coaches would have kids in there. Like, I'll never forget uh, one story before I go. Tony Dungy, and, and I'm hoping to get Tony on the show so we can talk about this, but before the Buccaneers played the Vikings, Tony Dungy's son and I were in the hotel room playing football with Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joes. Ron, good stuff. We appreciate your time as always. At 3 Ron Johnson on Twitter, he hosts the Ron Johnson Show. Right before we preview Colts and uh, do our <laughs> nerdy stats of the day, let me tell you about Built Bar. They've got some unreal, astonishing new reimagined flavors. We've told you about them before. We'll tell you about them again. Cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, and coconut brownie topper. And a little holiday twist, white chocolate peppermint granola and candy cane brownie puff. Uh, that's a good stocking stuffer. If you're looking for something to, to put in your kids' stockings or your spouse's stockings, your significant others, uh, look no further than Built Bar. They are good and good for you. The best tasting protein bars on the market. Revolutionizing nutrition. 100% real chocolate. 
high in protein, low in sugar, low in calories. Sink your teeth into it and change your life. No joke. You got to try these new Built Bars, and you can do so at 15% off if you order right now at Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at Built.com. That's promo code LOCKEDON15. Uh, Matt, let's get some time on the clock for this one. I want to run down some Colts talkers. Uh, let's do a minute each, go around the horn, starting with the following. How many years until Kirk Cousins is Matt Ryan? Because they are similarly physically gifted quarterbacks, I would say. Matt Ryan is falling off. This is the age cliff that we've talked about several times. Um, it's been about four years in decline, and here we are now. Um, he is limping to the finish line. How long until Kirk Cousins is at that point? Luke Edman, you care to start? Yeah, when you look at Matt Ryan's production and just the longevity over his career, he kind of just started to fall off in his 12th season. He'd always been over 100 passer rating for a lot of those years, but in his 12th year to now, it's fallen closer to 90, if not worse. So if you think that's the precursor for Cousins, then I guess you're really waiting for next season, that'll be Kirk's 12th season, to see if that decline starts to happen. I personally don't think it will, at least not that drastically and not that quickly, because Matt Ryan was on some really bad Falcons teams after after their Super Bowl window closed. And I think both these guys have a lot of similar qualities, not just in the fact that, you know, they're both pure pocket quarterbacks, but in the fact that they go as far as their surrounding talent will let them. And at their peak, they're both really good, accurate, smart quarterbacks when everything around them is good, when they've got the protection, when they got the weapons, they're up near that top tier or two of quarterbacks. But when things start to fall apart around them, Matt, the last few years in Atlanta, obviously this year with the Colts, we'll probably get into their offensive line has been really bad. It's just so obvious they're not quarterbacks that are going to elevate the play around them a ton or mask some of their team's weaknesses so I think the big thing to watch out for is what they do this offseason the Vikings that is and how they can continue to provide Kirk Cousins with some weapons if that offensive line and protection is still good if JJ and Thielen and KJ Hawkinson they're all still out there I think Kirk will still be at that first second tier depending on who you talk to in quarterback play and you won't see that big drop off unlike Matt Ryan has hmm. Arif Right. I agree with Luke that uh, from a characteristic standpoint, they are pretty similar quarterbacks. They are drop-back passers, not very athletic. They do well off of play action. They do best in a West Coast scheme. They rely basically on the players around them to elevate their play, not vice versa. They don't do extraordinarily well under pressure. All of that is true, but I think still Matt Ryan has been and will be a more volatile quarterback. His highs are higher, his lows are lower. And so when he does hit his cliff, his lows are extremely low. He's three years older than Kirk Cousins, but He's got seven more years of experience. Kirk Cousins didn't start right away. So I do think that Kirk Cousins has a little bit more left in him for those two reasons, that he's been more consistent year to year than Matt Ryan, that he's taken less hits, that he hasn't played in the NFL as often or as long as Matt Ryan has. Uh, and... Um, Honestly, I mean, like Matt, Matt Ryan has never made consecutive Pro Bowls, right? He's had four Pro Bowl appearances, never consecutive. And it's because, you know, he relies a little bit more on a good offensive coordinator and a good receiving core than even Kirk Cousins does. And so I think, you know, even though his highs are a little bit higher, I think that that volatility speaks to why he dropped off the way that he did. I think Cousins has just a, a couple more years left in him than Ryan does. Ryan, from his age 34 season until now, that's 2019 until now, He's 22, 36, and 1, 85 to 50 touchdown interception ratio, sack rate 7%. I mean, a statue back Ooh. there. 
And that, mm. that decline has been very linear. Like, it, he had a pretty outstanding 2018, even though the team wasn't great. Uh, but statistically, it was excellent. And every year has gotten just a little bit worse. Now, Kirk Cousins, you might say, is having a statistical decline this year in his age 34 season. Um, but I think there's still there's still a belief, at least for me, that his age 35 season could be kind of back where it was last year uh, statistically if he does get pretty comfortable in this scheme. So I think we're all saying the same thing. I think we all believe Kirk has maybe a little longer shelf life than Matt Ryan. Um, and for whatever reason, Kirk has looked more athletic this year than past years. Yeah. He's moving better in the pocket. Mm -hmm. He's scrambling occasionally. What's going on here? Um, so I think that Kirk probably ages a little slower. I, I'd say at 36, we start to see that decline. So we'll give him three more years. Yeah, and and just real quick, I think to all of our points, like, yeah, Ryan's played 233 games. Kirk's played 138. So Ryan's played almost 100 more games than him. Ryan's taken an average of 32 sacks every season. Kirk, surprisingly, only averaged 25 sacks per season. I'd be that very curious to know the amount of hits that they both taken. I couldn't find that number, but if anybody can find that, that'd be cool. It'd just be cool to compare the two as far as like sacks per year on any given average during their career. And then how many hits though that they've actually taken and go a long way to figure out again, the longevity and when that drop off could start to happen. Comparing them just to Matt Ryan, of course. Yeah, Luke, and I don't know about career, but just looking at this year, Kirk Cousins leads the league in hits taken with 67. So he's been battered this year for sure. Moving on, next topic. Matchup to watch. Arif, what are you watching for on Saturday that is most compelling to you? Uh, Sam, I like a lot of the players in the Colts as bad as they've been this year. I like Michael Pittman a lot. I like Alec Pierce a lot. Uh, I even like Quiddy Pay. And if Unique Ngakwe was playing a little bit better this year, that would be an intriguing matchup to watch given his short history with the Vikings as their sack leader. Um, but I, I think that the one that matters the most is going to be how that offensive line plays against the Vikings front seven. I think that that offensive line has had uh, a really up and down year. They've had some really good games like against, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, and they've had some pretty bad games like last week. I think that, you know, what we're seeing from Jonathan Taylor, which I know that you teased earlier on, you know, that, that Taylor's not playing all that well or he's not putting up as much production. I think that that has a little bit to do with Taylor, but a lot to do with how poorly that offensive line is blocking. Some of that, you know, they've got some retirements, you know, Anthony Costanzo. Some of that is that Quentin Nelson's not playing that well. I way, how they're doing, I think, is going to define the matchup in a big way, not just in the run game. Also, Matt Ryan is pretty poor under pressure, how the Vikings have the ability to pass rush against the Colts, which I'm going to talk about in the stat of the day, um, is also going to help kind of define this matchup. So it's the offensive line against that front seven. That's the matchup to watch. Yeah, well, after talking with Jake Arthur locked on Colts this morning, I was reminded of just how dominant their two tackles are playing defensively. Obviously, DeForest Buckner, he's a stud, but Grover Stewart, their nose tackle, playing at a crazy high level right now. 59 tackles, three sacks, eight tackles for locks with four weeks to play. Those are great numbers for a nose tackle. And the fact the guy next to him, Buckner, is also dominant at what he does. After watching Ed Egram last week just get blown off the ball, snap in, snap out, we just talked about how Kirk needs that clean pocket. If they can push the pocket from the interior, a quarterback's worst nightmare against Ingram and Bradbury, who's coming off an injury, it might be a really long day for this offense against a, a low-key, very solid defense despite the 4-8-1 and one record. The other guy he mentioned is Kenny Moore and another cornerback who could miss the game. Isaiah Rogers, their other cornerback, he's like 5'9", buck 70. He held his own against Devontae Adams and the Raiders. He had two pass deflections that game. He's playing some really good ball. He's really confident right now. So him and Gilmore, who's still one of the best in the business, 
these wideouts might have a hard time separating, giving Kirk some difficult tight windows to throw into all day long Saturday. Yeah, I think the the matchup that you're looking for is always how can you get Justin Jefferson in the most favorable spot? Stephon Gilmore, excellent this year. Top 10 PFF corner. Isaiah Rogers, rotational corner, still very, very good. Number two, actually, in PFF this year. Kenny Moore is the weak link, and he's DNP right now with an ankle, so he might be out. Um, so whoever is in Kenny Moore's place in the slot, that's who the Vikings want. That's who they want to get that one-on-one -on -one matchup with. doesn't always happen as easily in the slot to get those one-on-one -on -one matchups. Uh, the outside guys seem pretty sturdy for Indianapolis. Then again, is there anybody that you don't trust Justin Jefferson going one-on-one -on -one against? even top 10 level corners? Probably not. You probably still like a one-on-one -on -one matchup against anybody at this point. But keep an eye on the depth of the cornerbacks for the Colts. Kenny Moore uh, has been extremely ordinary. If he does play, he might be playing banged up. And that's another very favorable matchup for the Vikings. Um, and yeah, revenge game. Yannick Ngakwe. The, let's clarify, the sack leader, Yannick Ngakwe from the 2020 Vikings. Still one of the craziest stats of all time. Uh, he plays six games. He leads them in sacks. I'm right about that, correct? Or did someone yes. pass him at the very end? No, no, no. He, he finished no, the season right. as the sack leader. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stupid. Yeah, I um, believe he is the sack leader for the Colts as well. Just, you know, throwing that out there. No, he is. He is for sure. Uh, last one on the Colts, Jonathan Taylor. What happened? Why can't he run the ball? Luke Inman, uh, we'll start with you on the ailing Colts running attack. Yeah, I, again, I turned to Jake Arthur this morning, locked on Colts. He said the offensive line has just been a mess all season. He started the year, hoppers the Texans week one, buck 50, had a touchdown, looked great. And then ever since then, they've just struggled to do anything offensively, not just run the ball, but anything really, with a really banged up offensive line unit that has struggled. They've rotated multiple different guys in and out. They've struggled at tackle and the interior. Now, we'll say... The splits the last four weeks or so since Saturday has taken over have changed quite a bit. He's now back to averaging around 100 yards per game again the last few weeks. And a lot of that has to do with the fact they're finally getting settled into the same starting five offensive linemen week in and week out for the first time really all year. So coming off the bye week, now I'd expect them to at least try to continue and ride that momentum and get Jonathan Taylor rolling again. They know their offense and Matt Ryan leans on that running game quite a bit for the rest of the passing attack. Yeah. I can't say I. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Go Reef. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say I disagree with Luke. I, I don't think that Jonathan Taylor himself is playing, you know, poorly. I think that you know some of the explosiveness that we've wanted to see. You know, he's not really always hitting that second gear, but I think it might be ten percent. You know, him playing below a level that you know, was frankly, you know, in a previous generation of football would have been an MVP year, right? And it's just everybody mm -hmm. plays worse after an MVP year because generally it's the peak of your performance. So I think that's some of it, but I think a lot of it is just this offensive line. Like, you know, Luke alluded to is with his, uh, with his uh, podcast with Jake Arthur, um, you know, having that rotation along the offensive line, not knowing who you're playing at right tackle, not knowing who you're going to be playing at center, you know, keep on changing those guys and then knowing that your left tackle retired right before the season, you know, going through a number of those players uh, is going to impact the communication, especially if you're going to do double teams or zone communication. Uh, and they're just simply not blocking that well. Like Quentin Nelson last year was one of the best guards in the NFL, if not the best. You know, he's certainly in the conversation top three. Now, 
I don't know that he's playing like a top 10 guard. It is really rough out there. Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the nerdy stat of the day. Yeah, I had nothing really to add more on the Jonathan Taylor issue other than Colts are now 21st in run blocking. They've been top 10 in the past four years, now 21st. Uh, ankle injury also for Taylor. But nerdy stats of the day. Dalvin Cook, speaking of running backs, we've been talking about scheme versus execution, right? And I think we've, we all agree that the Vikings run blocking has been at issue this year as well. But Dalvin Cook is on track for a minus 23 yards under expected this year. 10th lowest in the league per next gen would be the first time he's ever been negative in his career. Um, and there's been a lot of numbers too about, you know, yuck being contacted behind the line of scrimmage has been really poor. Uh, his explosive runs are down, all of that. But minus 23 yards, underexpected at the moment. Um, so Dalvin Cook not having a tremendous individual year as well. That's my nerdy stat of the day. Arif, uh, what do you got? All right. So if you take a look, uh, and I bet Luke was going to try and steal this, but you got to me first. Uh, if you take a look at pass block win rate, you know, we've been talking about this every couple of weeks. Uh, pass block win rate, which measures how often uh, an offensive line, uh, you know, prevents somebody from getting past them in the first two and a half seconds of a snap. It does not measure pressures, although they are highly correlated because the quarterback can get rid of the ball before a defensive lineman arrives. So the pass block win rate, which correlates to wins better than pressure rate does, tells us that the Colts have the worst pass-blocking unit in the NFL. Now, that has changed a little bit because of the changes along the offensive line as they try and figure out who's going to work for them, but it is the fact that they are not very good at preventing pressure. Now, Matt Ryan only sees a pressure rate at 33%. That's half uh, or that, that's halfway through the league. That's, you know, that, that's ranked in the middle. So why is it? That's because Matt Ryan gets rid of the ball faster than almost everyone else in the NFL and has the lowest depth of target in a clean pocket of anyone else mm. in the NFL at 5.9 uh, average uh, depth of targets or yards downfield from the line of scrimmage. So because that offensive line consistently loses and because Matt Ryan is terrified of getting hit, he's no Kirk Cousins, uh, he gets rid of the ball well before somebody gets into the pocket knowing that someone is beating that offensive lineman, but his yards per attempt in a clean pocket is not that bad. So it's on the Vikings when they get pressure to tackle well because that ball is going to go underneath. It's going to go to somebody like Jonathan Taylor. It's going to go to a big guy like Alec Pierce or Michael Pittman, uh, and they're going to need to be able to, to, to bring somebody down. Yeah, that's a great one. I'll flip to the other side too. Their team run stop win rate, number six in the league. So they, again, those two defensive tackles go. are playing out of their mind right now. Uh, but their pass rush win rate, as bad as the Vikings have been, they're tied for dead last. Indianapolis Colts are at 29th, so their pass rush has not been good either. I looked at the total QB EPA when it matters most, so when the team win probability is within 40 to 60%, so when it's close or down in crunch time, Kirk Cousins is third in the NFL, only behind Patrick Mahomes and Geno Smith, out of all people, actually. There's a big drop-off, too, to Hertz, Josh Allen, and he's well ahead of guys, too, like Tua, Jared Goff, Tom Brady, and even Justin Herbert. So thought that was interesting. Clutch. I, I, I don't think that one's going to catch on. But Trademark. Who's that Patrick Mahomes guy? I've never heard. Play for the Twins? Ah, don't worry about him. He, he's, he's a flash in the pan. He won't be around. Yeah. Long. It's just uh, yeah, like a two-pitch reliever. Doesn't have a lot on his fastball. Hey, uh, another one, not a very nerdy stat, just real quick. Zadarius Smith leads the NFL in quarterback hurries, and Daniil Hunter ranks 
tied for fourth in quarterback hurries. Didn't know that either. That was surprising. Telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah. Dude, telling Donatello you. should have just pumped him up instead of made excuses. Right, right. No, it's they're playing well. You're all dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we've got bets to make. Uh, Luke Braun is out, but he sent me his picks. This is the situation. Luke Braun and I are in a fierce battle for last. We are both well into the negatives. I'm minus 824. Luke is minus 991. Inman, you're in the lead, 662. And Arif, you're at 348 in the positive. Remember, we all started with 1,000 mythical dollars. We do one pick against the spread, one over under each week. Minimum bet, 150 this week. Max bet, 1,500. Luke Braun... The absent one gets to choose first. He goes Bengals. Uh, he has minus three and a half. Let's Ugh. verify that. Uh, it's minus is... three now. Okay. I'm bringing it up right now. So the Bengals right. play who exactly? The Bucks. The uh, minus three and a half. I'm seeing three and oh, a half. Minus three and a half again. Okay, perfect. Minus 108, yeah, and I've he's putting max yeah. bet on it so Bengals minus three and a half max bet minus 108 uh the next pick goes to me and I am going to fade the Browns again because it worked for me last week and it will continue to work because Deshaun Watson is just gonna gonna be bad this year uh I don't care if it's Tyler Huntley I like Ravens plus two and a half at Cleveland, and I, too, am putting a max bet on it. Fade Watson. That's my strategy. All right, student student versus the teacher, Patriots, Raiders, Bill Belichick versus Josh McDaniels. No way Belichick's going to let Josh McDaniels beat him head-to-head. I'm going to take the Patriots. I can't believe it's a pick It's a pick in Vegas. I'll take the Patriots. I'm going to go with 300 bucks. I'm going to bump it up just a little bit. I've been staying consistent at 250. I got Patriots at a pick them at minus 110 for 300 bucks. Okay. Two for a reef. All right. Uh, don't love the picks I have available. I really wanted that Bengals pick. Um, mm. Don't know why it was at minus or yeah, three and a half. That's ridiculous to me. Um, instead, I'll take the Lions of pick them versus the Jets minus 105 for, I don't know, $200. That sounds about right. Um, now let's make it 225. Uh, I just, I love, you know, how the Lions play. They're both fairly complete teams without quarterbacks. And for fairly complete teams without quarterbacks, the Lions do have the better non-quarterback at quarterback. So I think I'll pick them. Um, but I do I do think that this matchup is going to be a lot of fun for people who like old school football. Um, as for my over-under, um, again, don't love these matchups. I think I'm going to take Seattle-San Francisco. That's tonight. Uh, under 43 minus 110 um, that I'm going to go for $200 uh, Geno Smith has fallen off a little bit I love Brock Purdy and how he's played I just don't trust the last pick in the draft a rookie to sustain some level of success I think both defenses will be playing pretty well mm-hmm. all right Luke I like that uh, I'm going to take the under in the Philadelphia Eagles, Chicago Bears at Soldier. Should be snowy, should be cold. I think the Eagles jump out to a big lead out in front early on. They run out the clock the rest of the way. Um, I'm going to take the under 48 and a half. I think it's at minus 108 is what I'm seeing, and I'll stay consistent. 300 bucks. 
minus 108. So that leaves uh, me. Um, so I need to do an over-under. I think the the Dolphins' bills under is beckoning here because we're talking nine inches of snow. It's going to be a snow globe. And that I, I'm just going to count on the weather playing a massive factor here. If the if they don't get the snow, then I'm screwed because Dolphins and Bills could hang 80. But I'm going to count on a snow game in Buffalo. Uh, 43 and a half is the number. Arif or Luke, can you give me the odds on that? Under uh, at 106 is what I see uh, online. Yep. Under 45. Yeah. Yep. 106. Okay, going max. I'm, I just got to go 2-0 Oof. one week. Just one week, I need to have a perfect week. Uh, it's been In tough theory, to come by. makes sense. In theory. Luke Braun has the final selection. He likes Vikings-Colts over 48-and-a-half. So he is counting on the defense to remain Light porous. Vikings-Colts. Uh, yes, he Matt puts Ryan. 200 on it. So Braun is going all in on the Bengals here. He did max bet on Bengals and 200 on Vikings Colts. What are the odds on that? Anybody? Uh, over uh, 47 and a half, 106, minus 106 on the over. Yep. You know, it's funny. Everybody's looking at the Vikings saying this has got to be a get right game. You got to imagine the Colts right. offense is looking this as a get right game too, right? Yeah, I would I would imagine for the Colts offense, like, well, if we can't throw against these guys. <laughs> right. Right. We can't run. This is can't what you would call, gentlemen, this is a stoppable force meeting a movable object. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Uh, Battle of that was a, could care less, huh? That was a long show. We're going to forgo party fouls, and, uh, and we'll have a show for you on Monday reacting to Vikings Colts. Luke Braun hopefully back with us. Guys, fun stuff. Um, Arif, Pro Football Network. Check out his work there. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson. He's at Luke underscore Spinman. I'm Sam Ekstrom, Ron Johnson Show, and uh, the Minnesota Football Party. We're free and available. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube, on, on Amazon Fire and Roku as well. We're everywhere. We'll see you on Monday.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.